Welcome back to Nishant's World. If you are wondering, I am Nishant. Nishant's World is a place where every week we can put aside everything else that's going on, sit back, relax, and talk about some sports, as things should be. Uh, today, I want to tell you guys about a uh, what I was up to this weekend. I had a really cool experience to go to the U.S. Open and watch some of uh, t- the tennis best and brightest in the world uh, compete, and it was awesome. I just being in New York was incredible. Being at the grounds, lots of stuff to see. Uh, the, the The quality of the, the the game was good too, despite the draw maybe being a little bit weaker than normal. With with you know obviously uh, Federer, Nadal, Serena all not in attendance, but. Regardless, it was really cool. Uh, and I want to talk about something happened there that I, I knew that I would want to bring up. And that's where I want to start. I want to talk about the Duchess today. The Duchess is, for for people who don't hang out with me on a regular basis, the Duchess is my nickname for Naomi Osaka. For The explanation for that is a simple reason. It is uh, in The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Jordan Belfort's wife's name is also Naomi, and she is a Duchess. So... Talking about the Duchess. Uh, I got to see the Duchess play on Friday, and uh, it was really, it was the first time I'd ever seen her play. And first of all, Naomi gets into this zone that is so incredible where, you know, she'll be playing fine. And then just, there are games where you can see her just turn it on and become an absolute assassin on the court. It is incredible to watch. Uh, Just going from zero to 100 or more, more probably like 65 to 100. Uh, it's not an effort level difference. It's just, just stops missing. <laughs> just, just winner after winner. And that happened on Friday, but it wasn't enough. Uh, as you know, people who are following the open might know, uh, she is not in it anymore. She lost on Friday to uh, Layla Fernandez uh, from Canada, who played brilliantly. I don't want this to be any, any, detraction from her she played incredible an incredible match and she is having an incredible tournament um she's very very young um and and this year honestly this year is the year at the u.s open of 18 year olds having success there have been a few um and so the young people in general you know even 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 Djokovic you know dropping a set to 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 a 20 year old uh on on monday and just 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 an incredible year for for the youth of tennis but so during the match you know with with, with the the real tipping point was in the in the second set or first set uh Naomi won seven five in the second set it was looking like things were going to be headed that exact same direction at the exact same point um but uh to to her credit Leila Fernandez you know came back and, and forced a tiebreaker and then ended up winning that tiebreaker pushing it to a third set and that's the point where, you know, for, for the Duchess, frustration, it you know, it was clear that frustration started to bubble over. And so we saw her, you know, display emotion on the court in a way that she usually doesn't. And, you know, she, you know, hit a racket a couple of times on the on the ground, tossed it once uh, and hit a, hit a ball into the to the stance, which, you know, being at Arthur Ashe for this was, first of all, it was really cool. Um, and, and it was crazy to see because, you know, Naomi's always been very reserved with that type of stuff on the court that being said i the what she did itself i don't want to talk about as much because it it's not that important the reaction to what happened is what i want to talk about immediately after 
you know, these things started happening and, you know, she was getting frustrated and, and, and hit a racket, I think the first time. And then especially when she, you know, kind of tossed a racket after uh, towards the net after a point, there were you very audible, the audience, a, a large portion of the audience was booing in the, in the stadium. And this was surprising for a couple of reasons. The first of which is that Naomi is one of the most popular players in the U.S. Um, specifically in New York, she is extremely popular. So the the booing really surprised me because as much as you can get with tennis of it being a home crowd advantage, it felt like a home crowd advantage. And to see that immediate transition was startling to me. And I was sitting there like, I remember thinking, why are they booing? I didn't even notice what happened at first. And then once I figured it out, I was almost even more confused when I figured out the reasoning for the booze. Um, I, I checked Twitter during the match. And of course, that is obviously filled with a lot of more discourse on this. Tennis Twitter is really strange, but it, there's a lot of a lot of conversation about, oh, she's rackets, the blah, 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 blah. And I say all this as background to get to the point. And the point I want to lay out very click, quickly is this. Tennis fans need to stop having this type of reaction. Tennis fans need to to be more normal. And what I mean by that is that tennis has always been somewhat of an elitist sport. That's just it. Tennis has always been a rich man's game. And now we're getting to the point where the talent pool of people that play and people that are good at it doesn't necessarily reflect that anymore. The best, are the probably the great, who is going to end up as the greatest player on earth of all time, Novak Djokovic, came from a country that was, at the at, during his childhood, hurt by war, and, 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 and he experienced bombings, and was really poor, and, and so that's the player that might end up as the greatest of all time, probably will. So what I mean by this is the talent pool of tennis is no longer that which it was when it was just British people going to a country club, dressing in all white and everything like like that. And the biggest problem that I have is, is that there's so much emphasis placed on tradition. It's such a traditional sport. When you look at Wimbledon, the most famous tennis tournament ever, uh, one of the four slams, but probably the most highly regarded, it's still, in a large part, operates the same way. You're still, you still have to wear all white and... Listen, I'm not going to die on the hill that I think that players should be able to, you know, not wear all white. But I think it represents a certain, it represents the culture of the sport. The culture surrounding the sport is that we don't welcome outsiders. That's the culture surrounding the sport. And, I, you know, as I mentioned, I, I, was, I was there at, at the Open. And what I experienced was that... <laughs> All summer, I've been going to baseball games, to Mariners games, and it was really interesting, the the juxtaposition of going to a baseball game and interacting with baseball fans and 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 everyone that works there and et cetera, and then going to a, a big tennis tournament and witnessing those people. Because it was in New York, you would think that it would be somewhat similar. It's not. <laughs> The, the clientele, so to speak, of people who, who go to tennis tournaments and, and people who are most of them, at least, I'm not trying to you know say everybody, but but most of the fan base is still kind of has that type of 
we don't want outsiders in here ideology. You know, there's it's weird. And, you know, I'm not going to go into every experience I had personally, but uh, there there were several moments where uh, where I was, you know, walking on the grounds doing doing whatever and where I was like, huh, like this is this is rather strange. Uh, And, you know, getting back to uh, the Duchess, when she started to receive this negative crowd feedback, it was ultra startling because this is this is not a no-name player who's doing this and this is not a player that people generally don't this is one of the most well-liked players uh on the tour and as playing in front of essentially what is her home crowd so that reaction was so surprising but again once you look back at the history and look back at how the sport has progressed and everything like that it makes a little bit more sense it still needs to change i think the idea that smashing a racket, and in this case, she didn't even smash a racket, but the idea that smashing a racket is somewhat this sacrilegious act that, you know, violates all the, you know, uh, pillars of tennis is frankly ridiculous. And it's still carried on very strongly. This idea that Oh, you're not respecting the game if you do that. Oh, you're not, you're 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 not going with in, in what the accordance of the of the so-called unmentioned rules or or even mentioned rules as you get you know penalties and stuff like that. And I've said this before: smashing a racket is entertaining. That's it. Just is. And the idea that in every other sport, you look at. Hockey, they literally have sanctioned fights in hockey. Sanctioned, they have, they have fight, they're allowed to do that. In football, in football, we get skirmishes all the time because they're tackling each other. In, in, in basketball, we get players and refs getting all sorts of, 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 of things and, 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 you, you know, players and players. We, I remember Chris Paul, Rajon Rondo skirmish. Stuff like that happens all the time. In baseball, bench clearing brawls are a thing. I say all that to say all this is happening and everyone's pretty much fine with it. And then you go, you come to tennis and we're freaking out because, because one of the biggest superstars in the sport got frustrated and like threw a racket a little bit. You see how ridiculous that sounds? It, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I remember last year, uh, I think uh, Monday was the one year anniversary of when the previous aforementioned future goat, probably, of tennis got defaulted, got kicked out of a a Grand Slam at the U.S. Open, which is largely regarded, by the way, as one of the most chill Grand Slams um, in terms of the environment and not uptight, was kicked out for accidentally hitting, for hitting a ball and accidentally hit a lines person. Which this year, it's funny that there there was no lines people at all, but it's... Um, it's all automated now, but he got kicked out. The world number one got kicked out of the, he, the only one of the famous, famous, famous top tier elite players that even showed up for that tournament got kicked out because he actually, uh, that demonstrates even more my point, which is that tennis needs to, to, to move on from this stuck in the past, archaic ways 
And there's the term, you know, that's always thrown around, especially with NBA discussions about like old heads that are always talking about like, you, you know, oh, you know, bring, they bring up Bill Russell for everything uh, and and Wilt and, 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 and what and Larry Bird and, and, and whatnot in every discussion. And I get that, you know, your era is always going to be, but that's kind of what tennis is as a sport. It's, it's a bunch of old heads that are always talking about how things should be and trying in vain to pull back the reins on a sport that is destined at some point to move forward. As I said before, the talent pool of tennis is not the same anymore. It's not, it's not, you know, guys in, in full long sleeve, long pants, white clothes, hitting around with wooden rackets in a British country club anymore. That's not what it is. It's now finally becoming an equal opportunity. It's on the way. I wouldn't say finally there already, but it's on the way to becoming an equal opportunity sport, which is great. It's great for the sport. You get a bigger talent pool. You get guys and, 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 and like like Novak, who, you know, he had to come through a lot of adversity to become to this point. But maybe that it's not that hard for the next guy. Maybe it's not. He doesn't have to try, or not to, not to try. But maybe he doesn't have to 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 go through all that adversity next time around. So you're getting there, but there's still this you know death grip on the sport that's pulling it back and trying to keep it in the same spot. I submit, you know, with 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 Andre Agassi. Was I, I do believe if I had been alive during, you know, the 90s, I think that Andre Agassi would have clearly been my favorite player. And I say this because I like I like players that seem genuine and and, and open, uh, which is the title of his book. It's the greatest book of all time. Please read it. Um, and, 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 you know, are real. Where somehow I feel like there was, and, and, you know, Andre got in, there was a lot of controversy surrounding him because of that very fact. You know, you look back at John McEnroe throwing fits against the umpires, that that, that was a thing. Uh, Andy Roddick did the same thing in the U.S. Open. And now we're in this spot where it's like the Duchess, you know, uh, should be able to show a little frustration that does not harm anyone else. It's limited to one... I, one of my friends was saying it's limited to one side of the court when you are it's not about disrespecting your opponent it's not about disrespecting the game i mentioned all those other examples about what happens in and every other sport and we're really the fact that we're complaining that much about a young superstar containing her frustration to her side of the court not harming anyone or anything and this is a huge problem i don't know why and the discourse around Naomi, I've talked about in previous episodes of this a little bit, uh, which I, I don't think I have time to get into now, but has been increasingly more and more disturbing because people seem to not to to resent the idea of an athlete taking all their opportunities and 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 doing what they can and becoming a better, a bigger brand. I've never gotten the kind of taboo nature of people wanting to make their brands bigger it's somehow seen as selfish and not and and you know even if it is selfish the thing is you're supposed you're supposed to be selfish with your career that's 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 a, a, a very common thing we cannot keep holding these athletes 
to a standard like you're not the name image likeness thing in college. Now I'm sure that's going to be a big a big deal because we're going I can see it coming. We're going to nitpick players who decide to use their name image likeness to make money and say oh and and you know critique them more and say oh they're doing all this but they can't show up on the field all that stuff is going to happen because there is still an, an, an onus against players doing what they can and so with, with Naomi that's like a whole thing is with 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 the image and you know going back to Agassi for a second uh he describes in his book a, a commercial that he was on where uh he pulled up in a really fancy car and uh, in a convertible or something and walked up and and said uh image is everything I think it was an ad for like a photo company or something but I said image is everything and he said in in his book uh, Andre says that the backlash to that lasted years with people constantly throwing the slogan in his face whenever anything happened. And that really represents, again, what I'm talking about here, which is tennis needs to stop being stuck in 1902. It is not the days of Jimmy Connors anymore who for all intents and purposes, behind the scenes was a huge jerk. <laughs> but no one cared because he did things the way they were supposed to be done, etc. So doing things the way they're supposed to be done, following these these arbitrary rules and, and stuff like that, I don't think it makes sense anymore for a sport that needs to move on into the future. And, you know, you look at, at all the different sports Twitters, and probably the best Twitter is NBA Twitter. I think it's the funniest. I think it's. I'm definitely going to come back and do it, do NBA Twitter and something at some point on the show. But it, it it's it's so great because everyone's in on it. If tennis Twitter is is limited because the, the audience is limited, first of all, to people who you know focus on on the sport and everything, and a lot of those people hold this weird whack ideology where smashing a racket is the, the greatest crime that a person can commit. When 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 Djokovic smashed his racket at the Olympics, I saw all kinds of stuff about it. And, and again, I, I was talking to someone who said they had an argument whether uh, of why you can defend someone smashing their racket. Smashing a racket is not that big of a deal. I will say this. I know I've said this 10 times on the show. I will continue to say it. It's entertainment. It's frustration. Let it go. So going back to Friday when this happened, I was disappointed, confused, a lot of things. And I think with Naomi saying after the match that she is going to be taking a break from tennis for a little bit, it's unfortunate. And I think that it's not responsible to speculate as to the exact reasoning why or when or how or what's involved. But I will say the booing was really disappointing to see. And for the future, we just need for this sport to to grow and get that audience that it wants and, and get younger. People my age do not watch tennis, not the vast majority of people. And that's the goal is to get other people to watch it, to to recognize what a great sport it is. And it is. But for that to happen, it needs to let go of the past and it needs to put down, get off the high horse, put down this, this elitist image that it has had it for a long time. 
And so, yeah, that's that's that hopefully in the future, the Duchess will be back and back to winning slams and everything will be back to normal, hopefully, as, yeah. as we keep saying for a lot of different things. But just wanted to open with that. Uh, it's going to be a shorter show today, so I'm only going to talk about one more thing. And that thing is ESPN simulations. I uh, Another sporting event that I'm going to very excited about this Sunday, I will be driving up to Indianapolis uh, to see the Seahawks take on the Colts in in, in Indy uh, for week one of the NFL season. I've never seen um, the Seahawks play uh, week one before, and, and it's uh, not live. I do watch on TV, but uh, I'm really excited to see uh, this this game. I could not be more hyped. Uh, and ESPN came out with a simulation. They, they, they conducted, you know, a lot of simulations. They picked one as their prediction. And what's interesting is that this prediction has the Seahawks uh, winless through eight weeks. Or winless through nine weeks, if you count the bye week. Um, they're 0-8 through week nine in the simulation. And, and this is the description that it reads. Coach Pete Carroll and new offensive coordinator Shane Waldron tried it all. They tried to let Russ cook. They tried to run the ball. They tried everything in between. It didn't matter. Seattle Seahawks couldn't recapture the magic of the early 2020 offense with a questionable pass rush and a lacking secondary betraying them on defense. And this simulation started with the loss of another 0-8 record. And then they lost 0-9. So they were the, the and they were, at the end of the season, they're tied for the worst record in the NFL in the simulation. That, that's a bold... That's a bold claim to say that, and if it happens, they'll look like geniuses, but that's a bold claim for this team, for a team that missed the playoffs once since Russell Wilson has gotten there with a winning record that, that, that year anyway. It's, it's a bold claim to say that they're going to be the only winless team through nine weeks. That, that's, that's, certainly, that's certainly a claim. Uh, in thinking about the matchup versus Indianapolis, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough one, mainly because Indy has a great defense, um, and Seattle's going to have to come out hot on offense to to compete with that. And you know, on the defensive end, yes, there are definitely questions about the secondary, uh, not the whole secondary, but mostly the cornerback depth. Can the safeties make up for that level? Uh, of of of, que- of of a question mark there. We we don't know what's going to happen with, with with the cornerback room. Uh, is you know can can this team generate a better pass rush than they did last year? Um, even a pass rush without Jamal Adams having to hop in and try to lead the team in sacks. It, there there is question marks, but there is also history and a level of established success every season that we should at this point trust that the floor. For the Seattle Seahawks is higher than 0-9. I think that briefly previewing this matchup, it's 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 exciting because with the new offensive coordinator, with Shane, Shane Waldron, I I think he's going to come out swinging. I think there's no. It's going to look a little bit like last year, uh, maybe a bit tempered. But last year, I remember uh, week one against the Falcons. The Seahawks went uh, absolutely crazy through the air. 
They threw a touchdown pass on fourth down. Russ to DK, a long ball on fourth down was what was called. And it, it ushered in the, the, the let Russ cook era. The brief, the very brief era. And I, he threw four touchdowns. Next, the week after that, against the Patriots, Sunday Night Football, five touchdowns. Uh, Dallas, five touchdowns. And I, I think that realistically, you're going to see... You're definitely going to see them run the ball a lot. I think the fan base at this point um, is expecting to see that. You're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see Russ take some some deep shots week one, and you're gonna see him do it against a defense that'll really test it. Last year, a lot of the concern was, oh, you're doing this against these weak defenses. You're doing this against against the Cowboys defense, which was terrible last season. And how will it stack up against a better defense? Which was a fair question because as soon as they played the Rams, we saw what happened. And as soon as they played in the lead defense, we saw what happened. Uh, they were a little bit, they were not effective. And the 49ers weren't healthy, so that explains that lapse as well. But this season, you're going to get to see against an elite defense week one. You're going to get to see this game plan against against a, one of the best defenses in the league. That's exciting. So week one, I'm not saying the Seahawks are going to win week one. They, they, could, they could very well lose this game. But you do have to start start off hot. The the simulation gets one thing right, which is that if you look at the first probably eight eight weeks discounting the Jaguars matchup, not not including that one, you have the Seahawks playing the Colts, uh <laughs> playoff team, Titans, playoff team, Vikings, not playoff team, but always a close game between the Seahawks and Vikings. The uh, the Niners, healthy again. The Rams, toughest matchup of, that the Seahawks ever face every year. The Steelers, incredibly tough matchup. And the Saints, also tough matchup. And the Packers. So the first half of the season is going to be extraordinarily difficult for this team. They're really going to have to hunker down and start off hot. If they do not start off hot, they're not making the playoffs. But... I'm excited about Shane Walter. I'm excited about what he's going to do against the Colts. I'm excited to see the most exciting sight in football, which is Russell Wilson dropping back and loading up to throw a deep ball. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. On When you watch, if you're not a Seahawks fan, when you watch Sunday Night Football when, when the Seahawks are on, you know the look when Russ drops back and he's going to go deep. It's the most exciting moment in the entire sport because something exciting is going to happen next. Uh, and so I'm, I'm definitely excited to see that. I, I think with, with the rest of the league, if you look at week one, it's it's a very, very packed packed week in, in terms of matchups that I want to see personally. I mean, right off the bat, we're going to have Cowboys, Buccaneers, the return of Dak, um, the, the, the new... The new Cowboys, like, can they recapture the magic of what they had in the beginning of the season last year without the terrible defense? We're going to see if Zeke can still be that force that he is, which I think it is true. I talked about this with Logan last week. I think he'll still be a, at the very least, top 10 running back in the NFL. And so that's an exciting matchup. You're, you're going to get that tomorrow night. I'm ex- I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, the NFL finally starts. Got kind of snuck up on us this year, but the NFL finally starts tomorrow. And I, oh man, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Uh, yeah, Cowboys, Buccaneers, Seahawks, Colts, another great matchup in the early slate. And you have, I mean, just like Bills, Steelers, another great matchup. Titans, Cardinals, another great matchup. I mean, even the bad matchups are, are, are have something to look forward to. Jets, Panthers could be interesting with the new quarterback situations in those respective, um, in those respective groups. I mean, 
it, it, it's Browns Chiefs. It's it, it's just one after the other. Bears, Rams, even um, Packers, Saints. I could not be more excited. And I think that the, this is a good point to close out the show today. So in summary, what I talked about, I just want to restate one more time. To everybody that listened and, and, and watches tennis, just try to think about the logic that you're using and, and, and question whether am I do I think that it's horrible that this player is hitting a ball into the stands because I genuinely think that is a morally incorrect thing to do? Or am I just kind of parroting based off of what the sport has always done? To the Duchess, I wish good luck, come back, be an assassin. And yeah, that's about that. And starting tomorrow, let's let's watch some NFL football, guys. I'm so excited. <sighs> Thank you for stopping by Nishant's uh, World this week. I cannot wait to break down next week what happens uh, starting tomorrow and going through Sunday and debrief about my indie experience. Hopefully it'll be good. And uh, again, the U.S. Open was a blast. I'm so ex- I'm so happy I got to do that. Uh, I, yeah, I can't wait for next week and when things will finally be in full swing. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, the, this this we finally have our first Ohio State home game this Saturday. So many things to look forward to. Let's watch some football. Thank you for stopping by and just talking about sports a little bit. Safe travels back to Earth.